You are listening to the Salty Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Anas Kesto. I'm salty not just because Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, but also because I'm salty in the sense that I'm watching the culture shift towards this progressive ideology, and it's becoming more anti-Christian by the day, and it's been slowly destroying our Christian values. I'm also salty because I'm watching Catholics become very lukewarm in their faith and not standing up and defending against this secular culture. So I'm here to sprinkle in a little bit of flavor. Alright, let's begin. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And of course, our world is full of people who seem like they're, um, they're, they're helping the world, but their end goal really is personal gain, whether it's money or power, um, or even the complete destruction of Christianity in favor of this secular humanism that we see. And people like that range anywhere from activists to politicians to people who fund these activists or politicians just to stay quiet in the background, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, as we say. But in this episode, I'm going to discuss a different type of wolf in sheep's clothing. Words. Language is being changed in order to change the way we think. So I'll talk about how um, that is and give some examples of of some of these phrases and words that we hear. And then I'm going to kind of show you how we can spot these uh, word changes and get to the bottom of what the person is uh, that we're talking to is actually trying to say. Before I get to that, though, I want to point out something. Language is super important. Language is the fundamental way we communicate, you know, from human to human. Language is how we learn things. You know, changing the way we speak to each other can have a huge impact. It can alter our perception and either take us closer to the truth or further away from it. So when we see a culture that's changing definitions of words to alter reality, there's bound to be some negative impact on the culture, most especially to our Catholic culture. From the most basic level, Language is how we're able to not only hear the good news, but also to preach the good news. And scripture is a perfect example of how language can be used to bring us to the truth. Uh, the scripture is written language. We're able to read, and that we were able to learn the truth, and then we were able to proclaim the truth. But even scripture talks about the importance of language. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 24, Uh, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In Psalm 33, we read, for the word of the Lord is right and true. And Proverbs 2, we uh, read that, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And there are so many scripture passages uh, that tell us that God speaks to us and how he communicates the truth to us so that we can live as who... um, who he created us to be, his children. We were created in his image and likeness after all. And the word of God has so much power to it, just the word itself, that existence in its entirety came into being just because God spoke a word. That's all he did. And we see this in Genesis in the creation story. So we read that uh, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And boom, now we have land and sea. Just like that. God used his word and the world came to existence. Now in John's gospel, we see that that word that was present in the beginning of the world, uh, when it was spoken into time in a new way, uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the famous verse in John's gospel, it begins like this. In the beginning was the word 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, so e- even in the same chapter, like down in verse 14, we read, um, we read John saying, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full in grace and truth. Amen. So the question is, how can we better understand the Word? Well, the most obvious way is by human language. The whole purpose of language is to communicate between two beings, whether it's between man and man or between God and man. And the divine word is God's self-revelation. It's how God communicates with us. You know, God revealed his divine nature and his divine will. His nature, the way he revealed it, is by his creation. And we read in Genesis, after every time he created something, he said, it is good. It was pleasing to God. God also reveals his divine will and we call these the Ten Commandments. Actually, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's called the Ten Words of God. We need to use language so that we can appreciate that the Word of God has power. It's binding on us. It's a promise. It's a covenant. Unlike you know us dumb, selfish human beings, when God speaks, it's never just to hear himself talk. His words have an effect on us as soon as they are spoken. Remember, he said, let there be light. There was an effect. There was light. So God's word continue to be spoken today, and we read them in Scripture, and we hear them at Mass or at Bible studies or, you know, a a podcast by a schmuck like me. And because God's word have a divine intent, they bring a change to those who hear it and those who take it in and receive it. Now, this is where the problem comes in. Our language is being manipulated. You know, you make a subtle change in language— then you change thought. And when you change thought, you end up fundamentally changing the culture. Let's put it this way. What's in a word? You know, what what does it matter that we call someone, for example, who breaks a law by entering the country an illegal alien or an undocumented immigrant? What's the difference between them? I mean, what's the difference between a Christmas tree and a holiday tree? It's just semantics, right? Well, I mean, yeah, semantics literally means the meaning of words. And it's funny because I'll be talking to someone and, uh, you know, who's more on the, um, let's say, the progressive side of the culture. And they'll often say like, oh, no, now we're just arguing semantics. Well, of course we are. That's the whole point. Semantics are important because when we change the meaning of a word, we can change the meaning of an entire idea just because we're using the wrong definition of the word. Without words, we'll, we'll have chaos. We use words to distinguish one thing from another. An example I can give is... When a baby says Baba or Dada, you know, that's when they see their dad. And they say Mama when they see their mom. They use two different words for two different people. Now, what if both parents were called Mama, for example? Not only would it confuse and frustrate the child, but it would also confuse and frustrate the parents. So these words are super important, even from like our very beginning, even when we we're children learning about the world. Words shape how we think and how we view the world. And, you know, nobody understands this better than, um, I'm going to say, let's call them the more progressive, like, liberal ideology. Now, I'm not talking about, like, politics, even though that can kind of tie to it, but I just kind of want to be careful when I use those words. I'm not saying those, you know, who voted one way or another, voted for this guy, this guy, I really don't care about that stuff. I'm just talking about a specific ideology. So I'm just going to keep calling it, like, the progressive ideology. But the progressives... They are the masters of words because they know words matter. They love using euphemisms. And, and all euphemisms are, they're just 
words to sugarcoat harsh realities. They do this to make, um, to make harsh realities more palatable and easier to accept. But these words, these, these euphemisms, they're the wolves in sheep's clothing of today's culture. Their sole purpose is to deceive. So, for example, murdering a human being in a womb is rebranded as abortion. Now, it's easy to call it abortion because then you can say, well, it's just some medical thing that happens. And then it became rebranded as women's reproductive rights or a woman's right to choose to, what to do with her body or women's access to health care. Each one of these phrases sounds softer than the next, and it's more full of crap than the next one. I mean, think about this. The, here's, here's why they use it. I mean, if we rebrand you know, child murder as women's reproductive rights, I mean, who would ever oppose a woman's right to choose what to do with her body and her reproductive organs? Nobody wants to be told what to do with their body, so no one's ever going to take a woman's access to the healthcare. Why would we do that? That's, those are all bad things, by the way. But here's the thing. That's not what they mean. They say that so that if you come up to somebody and you know, say something like, I think intentionally killing an innocent human being is morally evil, they can just say, well, why do you want to control a woman's body and tell them what they should be doing? That euphemism completely changes the conversation now. We now all of a sudden shifted from killing is bad to why are you telling me what to do? Two different things. And it's sad. Many women and men have been suckered into you know, this way of thinking. They're suckered into thinking that they're oppressed second-class citizens and abortion gives them control and power. How? Because of the way we change the language. I mean, who wouldn't want to have control over their reproductive rights or their own body and make their own choices? But that's not what they mean at all. I mean, it's pushing guilt-free murder of about a million babies per year, all in the name of freedom and liberation and choice. And, and here's another one, taking control of your sexuality. What they're saying, or what they're trying to imply, I guess, is that a woman can take control of her sexual desires and have relations with any man without being labeled a bad name. Um, and hey, look, with abortion and birth control and Plan B available, it also means you can have no consequences of being pregnant or caring for a child. This is disgusting. Controlling your sexuality should mean being chaste and practicing self-control until you get married. And that's what it meant for a very, very long time. But now it means the exact opposite. It's feeding women the lie that sex gives them power. But now it changed into like, you know, we want to break this old school mentality that sex should only be between married people. You know, it's pushing the total opposite of what scripture teaches about sexuality. And speaking of sexuality, let's talk about the phrase, love is love. It's the battle cry of the progressive world right now. It's written everywhere. Every commercial right now, uh, you know, it's Pride Month, so you're going to see this everywhere. Uh, I went to the mall and it's just plastered everywhere. What you'll see sometimes when you see, when you see like a love is love poster, you'll see like a picture of a man with a woman. And then next to that, a picture of a man with a man and a picture of a woman with a woman. And the message should be a no-brainer, right? Man or woman? Who cares? Love is love, baby. You can love whoever you want. I mean, the message is brilliant because it's so simple and so appealing to something that we desire, which is romantic love. We all desire love. Because it's so simple and appealing, that's why everybody gets suckered into it and thinks that it's just this mundane thing. You know, when you think about it, love is love. It cannot be true. For one, they don't even de define what type of love they're talking about. I mean, they're implying that it's this sexual feeling that you have towards somebody, but that's not love at all. It's easier to trick people and certainly to trick ourselves into thinking that love simply means just 
you know, the way I feel about somebody sexually. They, they uh, kind of conflate like just being horny with love. And it's so easy to hijack the term love to justify anything. Here's an example. And I wish I didn't come across this, but when I was researching this, uh, I came across this organization called the North American Man-Boy Love Association. Yes, that's an actual thing. I, I wish I didn't know about this disgusting organization. They have a website and all. N-A-M-B-L-A dot org. That's North American Man-Boy Love Association. And I went to their website. The website states their goal perfectly clear. And it's, and I quote, to end the extreme oppression of men and boys in a mutually consensual relationship by educating the general public on the benevolent nature of a man-boy love. Ugh. They continue and they say that we support the rights of youth as well as adults to choose a partner with whom they wish to share and enjoy their bodies. That's freaking disgusting. Here's what I'm trying to say. If love is love, if that phrase is actually true on its face value, then no one should have a problem with this whatsoever. However, a huge, I'm talking a vast, vast majority of people have an issue with this. And even most in the LGBT community oppose this stuff, by the way. Because it's that's how you know it's being pushed too far. I mean, which is odd after all, because love is love, right? But we know that's all crap. St. Thomas Aquinas defines love as this, to wish good to someone. It's that simple. That's what love really means. Love is to wish good to someone. But now it's changed to this you know, sexual feeling that you have towards another person. And then we wonder why there's so much confusion in the world. Let's consider the battle over pronouns, whether to call a man who thinks he's a woman, he or she. Now, very few people in this country suffer, suffer from uh, gender confusion, and we should all absolutely have compassion for those, uh, for those who do and try everything we can to help them, by all means. But for some strange reason, this satanic secular world is investing so much money and time and energy to attempt to force the entire country to refer to some men as she and some women as he. Is it because they're compassionate? Or maybe it's because the agenda of the secular world is just a blur or even deny the natural distinction, distinction between men and women. And this is the devil's deception, to confuse people and pull them away from the truth. And what are the negative consequences of changing language when it comes to this gender ideology? Well, for example, we, when we see this a lot, we, we hear many stories of this. Boys who play in girls' sports, especially in high school, and they absolutely dominate these, uh, these sports. On one hand, we hear the feminists um, crying out that they want equality because they're being treated unfairly due to their gender. And, and there may be some truth to that. But on the other hand, from the same group of progressives, we hear that there is no difference between men and women. Anybody can be a man or a woman as long as that's what they feel like. But guess what? This whole gender identity is hurting women mostly. Girls in high school who are forced to compete against these boys who are pretending to be girls are losing out on a lot of things. They're losing out on scholarships. They're losing out on going to the colleges that they want to uh, go to um, because they don't even come close to competing with them. How does that sound compassionate? If so, who are you being compassionate to? And one thing that this is, I'm going to get transitioned to something else that kind of ties into this is the phrase same-sex marriage. Now forget the politics. And I honestly, I plan to have an episode in the future discussing why two people of the same sex cannot be married. But let's look at the language of this. Throughout history, in every single culture, marriage has been defined as the union between a husband, a man, and a wife, a woman. When you put the uh, phrase same sex in front of the word marriage, that changes the definition of marriage. And it changes the conversation too. The debate became about 
marriage equality all of a sudden. You know, it became an act of bigotry to limit marriage just to men and women, all because we just put the word same sex in there. All of these problems, and many, many more problems, stem from just language being manipulated. Language is still being changed, and it's fundamentally changing the way the culture thinks about reality. Sometimes just an adjective can change even or negate the entire word that it describes. For example, take the word social justice. Well, justice means getting what you deserve without favor. Everyone likes justice. God is a just God and applies his justice fairly to everybody. Justice is a good thing. Add the word social, and the word social justice all of a sudden means getting what you don't deserve because you are favored. And here's one we hear a lot. My truth. Huh? Truth is reality, regardless of whether we agree on it, we agree with it or not. No one's feelings or perception of the truth can change the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a truth, or I am one of many truths. He says, I am the truth, because there's only one truth, one reality. That phrase gets thrown around a lot, and it really means, this is how I feel about this certain thing, and it most often has nothing to do with the truth. And this is what's being taught to our children, by the way. Every freaking TV show, commercial, movie, social media, news, they're filled with all these euphemisms, especially in the schools. So whoever controls the words controls the culture. And as Catholics, we're giving in to this because we just don't want to sound mean and we don't want to, you know, we don't like it when the media talks bad about us Catholics. So we just kind of lay low and just let this happen so that we don't look bad. We should not resist. Okay, in every opportunity, we have to fight back. And of course, I don't mean like in a sense of like being violent or bullying people into agreeing with you. That's not at all what I'm trying to say, or that's not at all how Jesus taught us to to go about these things. We should always be charitable and compassionate when we speak to people, um, even the ones we most, especially the ones we disagree with. But sometimes that could mean telling them something that may feel a little bit harsh or they may take it as, you know, a little bit too harsh. I mean, the best way to have a discussion with someone is to figure out what they mean. What, what are they thinking when they're using these euphemisms? It just, you know, all you have to do is just simply ask questions. An example I can give is I had a discussion uh, recently uh, about abortion. And this woman was saying, you know, it's about women's rights to choose. Well, I simply asked to choose what? And she said, to choose to have an operation to get rid of an unwanted pregnancy. See, she keeps sprinkling that sugar on it. So I asked, okay, what type of operation are you talking about? And she replied with, well, we're, you know, we're talking about abortion. I'm like, okay, so what's an abortion? And man, oh man, she went on tangents. I must have asked about four to six times. Just tell me what, what's an abortion? And she absolutely refused to tell me what an abortion was. At this point, I just abandoned the discussion completely because obviously she can sense what I was trying to do. And she knew that if she was going to answer that, it was going to back her into a corner. Now she has to respond to why she thinks killing an innocent human is a good idea. Honestly, I was just trying to get her to admit to herself what she really means when she says a woman's right to choose. And by the way, this is how we bring people to truth. Just simply guide them to the truth that they already know. So all you have to do is just ask questions. Jesus did this a lot. Most of the time, he answered people's questions by asking them a question. You know, one example that comes to mind, it's in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, uh, when someone came up to him and said, you know, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, what's written in the law? You know, what do you, what do you read in the law? And the guy answered him, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the guy already knew the answer. But Jesus just said, you tell me, what, what do you think it is? So here's how it works. When we ask questions, usually it's because we want information. 
when Jesus asks questions, it's not because he wants to know. He Obviously, he already knows everything. He's God. But it's usually for self-awareness. And this is how we can take the culture back and lead people to the truth. Ask the way Jesus asks questions. I Honestly, I really like this method. It's so effective, mainly because Jesus does it. So, of course, it's going to be effective. Simply because sometimes people just honestly don't know some of these words and phrases they're using really mean. They've just heard them from some college professor or some liberal friend, so they want to sound just as smart as they are, so they start using these words. I mean, you'll hear, I'll hear the phrase like, you're being hateful, when, you know, when I talk about anything that goes against the progressive secular ideology. Uh, usually it just means, I don't agree with you, and it's making me feel kind of angry, and I don't know how to respond to you, so I'm just going to shut this conversation out by saying, you're being hateful. You know, instead of engaging with me, they'll just label me these things like hateful, racist, homophobic, sexist, or whatever the buzzword of the day is, because it's just much easier to label somebody uh, something just to discredit them, because if they're a hateful or a racist person, you don't have to talk to them. Um, you could just get away from them, and you don't have to use any of your brain cells. You just keep them all to yourself. Uh, but because, you know, you're going to label me as this thing, then... Anything that comes out of me is going to just come out as pure hatred or pure hostility or pure racist. And nobody wants to talk to a hater, do they, right? So to my fellow Catholics, let's keep our ears open. Let's make sure we identify these subtle changes in language, because even though they're subtle, they're greatly impacting our faith and our culture. And they only have one goal in mind, to destroy our Christian values. So let's pray. Let's pray for the strength and guidance from our Lord Jesus Christ to help us spread the truth. Let's especially pray for patience, because we tend to want things to go our way on our own time. So let's pray for patience and acceptance um, that things may not just happen the way we want them to, and not especially not in the time that we want them to. We can't lose hope, and we need to continue to preach the truth. So let's pray also for strength from God to help us continue this journey as we, um, as we preach the truth and invite people to accept the truth, which is the Word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to leave you with this. The great venerable um, Fulton Sheen said this, A religion that does not interfere with the secular order will soon discover that the secular order will not refrain from interfering with it. Think about that. Now, I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. I'm honestly humbled by your uh, prayer and support. Please continue to pray for me. That's all I ever ask for. I just want your continued prayer so that I can keep doing this. Um, and I will also keep everybody in your, uh, I'll keep everybody in my prayers as well. And please don't forget also to check out the other podcasts by ECRC. We have the Catholic Avengers by Pilar and Jeff. And if you absolutely have nothing better to do with your life, you can check out The Right to Be Catholic by Sean A.R. Once again, thank you so much for listening. God bless you all and be salty. <laughs>